And the story of that baby boy is found in Luke chapter 2, that baby boy who became the great I am, the King of kings, and the Lord of lords that we celebrate every week, but especially at this season. I'm going to jump in in Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 8 this morning. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find the babe wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Well, we talked last week about those... uh, those shepherds being the messengers of peace, but exactly what did it mean when the angel chorus declared on earth peace among those with whom God is pleased? As you look back in history, you'll discover that uh, Israel, the circumstances didn't change greatly for Israel after Jesus was born. His preaching didn't suddenly uh, bring great change to the social issues of the day. Even his death didn't bring Uh, change didn't free the people from under the political and military bondage they were under. In fact, I think you'd be hard-pressed to find the average person living in that day who would say that Jesus' coming brought peace. So what did it mean when the angels declared peace on earth? Was it the same kind of wishful thinking today when you see Christmas displays with peace on earth in that display? If you look back in verse 14, you'll find that this was not world peace that Jesus is bringing. It's not for all mankind. It certainly is offered to all mankind, but not all mankind will accept the conditions of peace because the primary term is you make Jesus Lord of life. But it's peace for those who are in right relationship with God. In in verse 14 in the ESV, which we just read, it says, peace among those with whom he is pleased. With whom is he pleased? Those who've accepted his son, the Lord Jesus, and made him Savior and Lord of life. If you're reading from the NIV, it says, peace To men on whom his favor rests. On whom does his favor rest? Those who have trusted Christ. King James Version, peace and goodwill toward man. God's peace is given to those who've experienced his goodwill. Who's experienced his goodwill? Those who have have accepted Christ's death for them. So what is being declared when the angels say peace on earth is that God is declaring a peaceful solution to man. Why is that? Well, because man was at war against God. Man who has been living in a state of rebellion, who's been an enemy of God, is being granted peace that he does not deserve because God is a God of grace. Man who deserves to be destroyed or annihilated is loved by God who has mercy and therefore he offers peace to those who call on him. So the peace that's being declared here in in Luke chapter 2 and verse 14 at the birth of Jesus is the peace that he was going to purchase for us by his death on the cross. And it is a, a God-given peace. It's not dependent on circumstances at all. Jesus came to bring peace that transcends circumstances. Hundreds of years before the birth of Jesus, Isaiah records these words in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, what's the last part of it? Prince of Peace. 
Isaiah, hundreds of years before Jesus' birth, declared that he would be the Prince of Peace. But Jesus himself, in the time that he was here on earth, affirms that the peace he brings is not necessarily what people are thinking when they see phrases like peace on earth or slogans calling for world peace. That's not the peace that he came to give. In fact, in Matthew chapter 10, verses 34 through 36, this is what he says about his coming. Do not think that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I've not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I've come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. What is he saying? He's not saying he came to blow up the family unit. He's saying that the gospel is going to be divisive. Even within a household, not everyone in that household is going to believe. In fact, some in a household will be hated by others in their family because they follow Christ. And so if families are going to be divided, so will societies and so will nations. The gospel cannot bring peace to a world that rejects God. And so Jesus warned his disciples that persecution was come to, would come to them because they were going to be confronting a world that rejects him. Again, in John 14, 27, he clarifies that his peace is not the world's peace. He says, peace I leave with you. He's, he's telling the disciples he's going to be going and they're concerned what's going to happen. He tells them the spirit is going to come and be with them. And then he says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. He was letting them know and letting us know that his peace is not like the world's uh, transient peace, but his peace is a lasting peace. It's a spiritual peace that he offers to his followers as a permanent gift. And he gives his followers that peace so they can live in the chaos and the distress in this temporal world. John 16, 33, he said, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have peace tribulation, but take heart that I've overcome the world. You see, Jesus knew that for those who followed him, the journey would not be easy. He knew that we would experience many trials and sorrows. So the peace that Jesus came to give is peace with God. That's the only peace that lasts. It was purchased by Jesus through his blood sacrifice on the cross. But listen, not only were we reconciled with God, made right with God, through what Jesus did on the cross, but also because we are right with God, we have access to the Father. And he's the one who can bring peace to our conflict, and he's the one who can bring peace to our trials and our tribulations. Well, how does he do that? How does God bring peace to, to times of difficulty in our lives? Well, in Philippians 4, 7, uh, Paul told the Philippians they were to take their anxious thoughts, their needs, uh, the things that cause them to like peace, they were to take those worries to God in prayer. And he says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. He's saying that because believers have the Spirit of God living in us, our minds don't have to be ruled by fear and anxiety. We don't have to be overcome by fear and anxiety because our minds can be governed by God's peace. We don't have to go there with all those anxious thoughts and worries if we're continually focused on God and our minds are governed by his peace. And, and we know this by faith. We believe what the word of God says. And many in this room know by experience that the believer who places his full confidence in God and who's thankful in every circumstances possesses a supernatural peace. 
the believer who's fully confident and loving God and is thankful in every circumstance is going to have an inner calm that will dominate his heart or her heart no matter what. Because it's inward, it's not based outward on circumstances. That person may have a, a tempest that's raging on all fronts on the outside, but inwardly that their mind and heart are guarded by peace. It's, it's like a, a, a supernatural serenity that prevails in their life. And that's so different from the world's peace. The world's peace depends on circumstances being favorable. If things are, are well, if things are going according to plan, then we're peaceful. But if things go awry, peace evaporates. It's not so with the pieces from God. God's supernatural peace surpasses natural understanding. And, and you've probably seen this. I know you've seen it at funerals. Anytime we're at a funeral, we talk about this very issue that no one outside of Christ can fathom the peace that's described in Philippians 4, 7. It doesn't make sense to them, but, but you see it. It is evident in the life of a believer who has full confidence in a loving God. It's very evident in their life. The believer who suffers financial hardship is able to say, you know what, I have peace because I've given this problem to God. And, and, and I know that he has met my needs in the past. I know that he knows my needs now. And I trust him. And I know that regardless of what happens in this life, I have incredible spiritual wealth. And I have eternal life that's been promised to me, eternal life that's to come. The believer that, that is suffering through the turmoil of a broken relationship can say, I have peace because I've given this to God and I'm thankful for my unending, unbreakable relationship with him. I know I'm his for all of eternity. Even the believer that is facing a, a terminal illness can say, I, I'd rather not leave this life yet, but I trust God's plan for me. And in prayer, I've submitted myself to his will. And regardless of what happens in this life, I'm at peace knowing that I will live with him forever. It's a peace, as Paul said, that is beyond comprehension or beyond understanding. And, and this morning, honestly, you may be thinking, well, well I'm a believer, but I'm, I'm not there yet. I couldn't say those things. Is, is there some kind of secret to having the kind of peace that brings strength in the midst of the chaos in our lives? Well, let's go back to where it starts. Our first taste of peace comes at the moment of salvation. At the moment of salvation, when our, our sinful past is wiped clean and our conscience is clear, Paul in Romans 5, 1 says, Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the starting point of peace. And if you want to know the secret to having the kind of peace that we've talked about that surpasses understanding, if you start with God with peace, then that peace grows as you get to know God better. In 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 2, Peter said, May grace and peace be multiplied to you, listen, in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. That's how you have this peace that wells up in you. It's the same peace that you started with at the point of salvation. And as you get to know God in a deeper and deeper way, that peace grows. See, peace is not just a characteristic of God. It's not just something we put in a list of characteristics about God. God is peace. He's peace. He's the source. He is peace. And the more time we spend in his presence, the more peace flows in us and through us. That's why you see people who in the midst of turmoil are incredibly peaceful because it just flows from them. And peaceful people are very noticeable, aren't they? 
if someone from our congregation, someone from your friend circle here in the, in, we're, in, we're in winter, kinda, I don't ever know from one day to the next if we're in winter or what, but if someone from here went on a cruise next week or went to the beach next, next week and they came back with just this incredible tan, you'd know that they'd been basking in the sun, right? Well, when someone is uh, basking in the presence of God, it's quite evident because a peaceful person, one who's basking in the presence of God, lives in vivid contrast to the chaos in the world around them. They're noticeable. And when the storms of life are thundering and crashing, our only hope for peace is in God. David knew this well. You think about the life of David as you read about his life and in, in uh, the record that's in Scripture. And as you read the Psalms especially, you know that he was in constant chaos and constant turmoil, but he was always comforted in his relationship with God. Psalm 46.1, God is our refuge and strength, the very present help in trouble. Psalm 62.8, trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Psalm 91.1, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. You see, the level of peace that, that you have in your spirit will be determined by your proximity to the one who is peace. Let me say that again. The level of peace you have in your spirit is determined by your proximity to the one who is peace and who gives peace. The deeper you know God, the deeper peace you have in your life. You know, during the, one of the, the darkest, most turbulent times in the nation of Israel, um, Isaiah recorded this promise in Isaiah 26, 3. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. You know, Jesus said, we're, we're not promised a world without troubles or trials. We're not promised a world without war and unrest and anguish and loss, but we are promised a peace in the midst of the fiercest battle, we're promised an inward peace and a quiet confidence. But what we just read in Isaiah 26 tells us that there are two conditions to perfect peace. Perfect peace is promised, but there are two conditions. And the first one is this, a mind that is stayed on the Lord. What does that mean? A mind that is firmly focused on the Lord. It's not focused on the difficulty. It's not focused on the chaos. It's not focused on the storm. When did Peter begin to sink? When he took his eyes off Jesus and put his eyes on the storm, on the conditions. Isaiah says he will keep in perfect peace the mind that is firmly focused on him. See, it's with your mind that you understand and you come to believe that, that he is the author and the giver of peace and he is willing and able to give it to you in whatever circumstances you face. Well, how do you know that? You spend time in his word. And, and you learn his promises, and you remember that he's a refuge and a strength to those who belong to him. How do you know that he's going to give that, that peace, that he's capable of giving that peace, that he'll give you that peace? You spend time in his word, and you observe his examples of faithfulness throughout the generations. When the odds are stacked against you, you remember Gideon and how God made him a mighty warrior and how God used Gideon and 300 men to defeat 135,000 of the Midianite army. God is greater than the odds that are stacked against you. When you're facing a giant in your life, you remember a young boy named David who believed his God was bigger and who stood in faith so that all of Israel and David as well saw that God could defeat any giant. You remember 
when calamity strikes you and you think all is lost, you look to the example of Job and, and, and see how he remained faithful. And you commit to trusting God and his plan and purpose regardless of what's happening around you. And you remember that in the end, Job was blessed for his faithfulness. It's a mind, Isaiah says, that it stayed on God. And look at the second condition, a heart that trusts the Lord. What does that mean? That means regardless of how you feel, you walk forward in faith because you've been strengthened by your growing knowledge of God. And so you walk forward in faith. You believe that in spite of your circumstances, he is able to give you peace. You put Philippians 4, 6 into practice. The reason that God gives a peace that surpasses understanding is because of 4, 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. What is he saying in Philippians 4, 6? Well, first of all, you have to refuse the anxious thoughts. They're, they're going to come. You know who wants you to have anxious thoughts? You know who wants you to doubt the goodness of God and the grace of God and the love of God and the peace of God? Who wants you to doubt all that? Satan does, the evil one. So you refuse it. You tell him you won't receive it. You refuse the anxious thoughts, and then look, you bring every need to God in prayer, and as you bring it to him in prayer, look what you do. You, you, you thank him. What do you thank him for? Well, first of all, you thank him for what he has done. You need to remember how he's been faithful in the past. You know the problem for many of us when we come to difficult or tumultuous times in our lives and we wonder, is God going to come through for me? The problem for most of us is we don't have good rememberers. Is that a word, rememberers? Yeah, thank you, Dr. Deal, thank you. We don't have good rememberers. We forget all the ways that God has been faithful in the past. Well, when we come and we bring these requests to him, we thank him for what he's done in the past, and then we thank him for what he's going to do to keep us at peace. Several years ago, a major art gallery sponsored a competition for painters. Not, not house painters, people who paint pictures. And they offered prizes, and they were looking for was the best painting on peace. And you, you can imagine what kind of paintings showed up in this competition. Lots of idyllic pictures of uh, pasture or farm scenes or, or lakes or mountains. None of those won. Here's the picture that won the contest for painting a picture of peace. Look at that. There's this incredible storm. You see the lightning out of the ocean. The waves are crashing against the, the cliff here. Water is pouring down over the top. That is the picture that won for a painting of peace. Where's the peace in that? Well, let's look a little closer. In that picture, in the cleft of a rock, in the midst of the storm, there's a mother bird on her nest and all her babies are sleeping peacefully in the shelter of her wings. Now, I don't know that this artist was a believer. I, if the artist was a believer, I have to think maybe the title of the painting or the inspiration of the painting came from Psalm 61.4, where the psalmist said, I long to rest in the shelter of your wings. It's where we find peace. 
In the midst of a storm, we can have peace when our mind keeps a steady focus on the promise and the faithfulness of God. We can have peace in the midst of the storm when we bring every concern to him in prayer and we thank him and remember how he's been faithful in the past. It's interesting that at Christmas time when we celebrate the angels coming and saying on earth peace, a lot of people don't have peace. If anything, it's almost as if, if the season, as if the season exacerbates whatever's happening in our lives. God came to bring peace. First and foremost, he offered a peace treaty with sinful, rebellious man. He offered a peace treaty to what Christ did for us on the cross. If you're here this morning and you've never received Christ as Savior and Lord of life, you're never going to find peace. Not only are you not going to find peace in this life, certainly not going to find peace in the life to come. But, but many, most in this room this morning have found the peace that Paul talked about in Romans 5.1, that we've been justified by faith and we have peace with God, but we still have to face the struggles and the, and the storms of life. You know, when we think about those shepherds being messengers of peace, we also are messengers of peace. And I certainly hope that when difficult moments come in our lives, that those around us, especially those who don't know Christ, can see that we're still at peace in spite of the circumstances.